This is a Hog Sports Network podcast. I'd like to welcome you into the basketball podcast of Mid America. It is November 15th, and Arkansas's men's and women's basketball teams are off to 3 0 starts. Arkansas beat Old Dominion 86 77 to begin the week back on Monday. And Arkansas's women's team the next night dismantled Arkansas Little Rock. Ethan was there, had coverage of the game. You can go to that, um, go to that coverage and coverage from Arkansas's men's basketball games at wholehogsports.com. Um, good to be doing another podcast with you, Ethan. Blake, appreciate you hopping in again. Felt like Felt like the old days for for an hour or so last week. Appreciate you guys being here. Um, I guess we can get right into um, Arkansas's women beating Arkansas Little Rock with about forty one points. I think Talia Scott had a really good opening week to her college career, and what went for twenty nine in her first two games. Twenty nine first game, twenty five second. Twenty five second game, and then, okay. uh, yeah, and then 18. eighteen against. So, oh, better. Watch out. She's only scoring 18 points I thought now. it was encouraging that yeah. she got her 18 against Little Rock a little bit more efficiently. I think she got to the line five or six times and I think what only took 11 shots to get to her, her 18. Yeah, she was she was just picking her spots pretty well. There's She's still um, – it's freshman mistakes. Like she had four turnovers last night. I think she had five the one before. As a team, they only had eight turnovers, which is great. But she's – it's like each game just encouraging signs as far as like kind of just like learning, I think, the college speed. And she's just so talented. She, I actually made this comment last night and just kind of asking the question to her, like she's kind of like a running back whenever she gets to the rim. It's like she finds a crease in there somehow every time. She's just super strong, like getting into the rack. Like half the time her layups aren't even contested because she's like just really crafty getting the rim. She's leading the SEC right now in scoring. She has 24 a game as her average, so really good start to her career. She's she's a player that it's like she's doing things right now as a freshman. I get it. They've, they've played three non-conference games. Wait till they play a big-name opponent to really just um, start saying she doesn't look like a freshman, but so far she doesn't. I mean, there's the freshman mistakes, but end of the day, I mean, she's she looks like she's been there, done that. For sure. And I, I watched a little bit of, I think, maybe the first quarter and a half of the Arkansas women's game. And I think it, at that point it was a little bit, I don't want to say it was out of hand already based on the way that they protected leads in their first two games. But to give up four points in the first quarter, did Mike Neighbors have anything to say about that? I mean, that that's a that's a pretty encouraging start, especially after you narrowly you know, won a game late last week after you led by as many as 24. Yeah, they uh... – Honestly, defense was a struggle those first two games. They just didn't look great. It wasn't – I'd say they didn't look bad defensively, but they definitely didn't look good. It was just kind of one of those things you're like, well, if these teams are doing this right now, what's going to happen down the road? And so Mike Neighbor said that, I mean, he wanted defense to be a huge emphasis going into this Little Rock game. They kind of – it was nice for him. They finally, like, you know, got a couple games under their belt. They have a lot of new faces, so it's like to actually get, like, usable film of new players and games – I think was really helpful and I think was able to emphasize um, their inability to close and like, um, and also just emphasize some defensive things. So he actually said he went to like to Colby Hale to get some keeper gloves. He's, I know Eric Musselman's really big on like before game. He does like a big theatric game skits. Yeah. Neighbors isn't that style, but he did get the keeper gloves and like talking to his team pregame, just like used them to like demonstrate, you know, like being active with your hands and trying to bat, bat around balls. And I mean, Little Rock made their first shot of the game last night and then missed 13 in a row. Little Rock isn't a good offensive team in the first place. This is, a byproduct of Arkansas playing better defense and that not being a good offense, but really encouraging for uh, that team to just handle somebody finally. I mean, it was the first two games were a little concerning. Not that those teams that they played were bad. I don't think they are. I think those teams will probably be competitive in their conferences, but you still, if you have leads of 10 plus points late in the game, you want to, you got to be able to finish that. So just to see them come out. And yesterday they just, I mean, they handed it to him and they won by more points than Little Rock scored. So always good when you can do that. Yeah. Always good to do that. I'm really impressed right now with just like kind of their team. They're playing as their assist totals aren't up. And some people will be like, Oh, does that mean they're not playing as a team? I just think that they really are good at picking their spots with beating people off the bounce. It's like 
Um, I think those assist totals will just kind of vary game to game depending on how people are guarding them. But they're really playing as a team, in my opinion. I mean, like I was encouraged last night. Michaela Daniels, who's the fifth year guard for them, she's like she's tenth in the program scoring all time. She had three points, and some people might look at that and be like, "Oh, did she have a bad game?" But I was almost like equally as impressed with her game as I was, you know, Talia getting fifteen because she she was just running the team she was just like making sure things went how they should she didn't have to play very much i think she played 20 minutes um but she got five boards uh scored three points on one shot like i mean she wasn't even taking shots she got she had three assists it was like she was just doing what you need your your veteran captain to do just like operating and making sure um others are getting involved so really encouraging stuff for them last night um miriam dowda the sophomore from Bentonville, she had a career high fifteen points. She was like being really aggressive. Uh, she had seven boards too. Seven to boards, yeah. Lines. So fifteen and seven, a good game for her. Um, Sailor Poffenbarger, she scored twelve, had eight rebounds. She leads the SEC in rebound average right now with thirteen and a half a game. Um, it, it just looks like this is a team that the more they keep playing together, they're just. I said this on our first podcast. It's just a lot of new faces and not having an exhibition. I mean. That first game, they they played a pretty good team, and it was also like their dress rehearsal of like playing in front of people right. as a team. So I think the more games that they get under their belt, um, you'll maybe see them start to gel more and more. And the shot making's gotten better too. I mean, they shot last night eight from tw- eight for twenty seven from three, which isn't great. That's thirty percent, but I mean that's an improvement. And some of those miss, like it was a better per- percentage till late in the game. They had some other bench players in, and were just kind of you know, yeah just getting some shots up, but um, that they're looking better. I mean, they passed the eye test last night as far as like just improvements being made. Um, he also, it's funny, they, they had trouble turning the ball over the first two games. I think they averaged 17 turnovers in the first two games, which that won't cut it. Um, and so he turned things over in practice to Amber, uh, Amber Nicholas, now Amber Shirey, the director of operations for them. Um, she did ball handling with them. She like, I mean, because she's one of the best ball handlers in Arkansas history. So um, she's apparently taken over like they do ball handling now at the start of practice for like yeah. five minutes. He said that uh, they went 12 minutes, though, on our first one because he he's big on like he said, I'm going we're going five minutes. He means five good minutes or whenever he does drills like that. And so if, if he says uh, if he says he wants five minutes and they haven't done it in 10, he's, I mean, he's going to keep going. So apparently they went longer the first day and then they've been shortening it up ever since. But. To only turn it over uh, eight times yesterday was a good sign for them, but I expect them to have a test this week, uh, this yeah, weekend so. at A State. So we'll see if those improvements keep up. But encouraging stuff. I think I, I said this when I had to give my college highlight of the week at the sports club today. I think they're probably going into a hornet's nest on on Friday. I mean, anytime Arkansas in any sport plays in Jonesboro, the people are going to come out. And that's that is going to be a very good road test. Um, I think you've made the point on the board that that's probably really going to help Arkansas's net. Yeah, because I mean they're expected probably to win that game, and any road win that you can get in non-conference is, is always a plus. Even yeah. though if it's it, it is a what is a Sun Belt team. Yeah, so there's Sun Belt, and it's if you pay attention to the men's side, you're familiar with this. It's the same men's and women's as far as like net rankings, like you. Uh, women's actually they don't do quadrants so it's, that's like the one difference is they don't really break it down by quadrant but you're like on the weighted scale of the net like say you're playing a team that's number 100 in the net but you play them on the road that's basically kind of treated like you're playing the equivalent to if you played like a number 50 team at home or something like they road wins are really valued so a state they aren't bad this year by any stretch any stretch of the imagination there like I expect them to actually be kind of upper half of the Sun Belt. I don't think they're good, but definitely I don't think they're bad. Um, so if they can go in there and, and get a win on the road, and A State finishes at the end of the year like ninety in the net or something like that, that actually really helps you out. So yeah, um, definitely going to be a hostile environment though. I think I was looking at ticket prices for women's games in the SEC on that day. There's like I think four or five games that night, and the most expensive are at Arkansas State because I guess that they've sold, um, they've probably nearly sold it out. So. I would imagine. Yeah. You made an interesting point earlier about um, Arkansas's women's assist totals. And I think it's, you could almost make the same case, especially for last week, last Friday's game against Gardner-Webb. Arkansas finished that game with 11 assists and they made 30 shots. So 
barely above 33% in terms of your assist rate. Um, you probably, probably ideally would like that to be a little bit higher. And I'm sure Mike Neighbors would love his assist, his team's assist numbers to be higher. But I think you don't worry about that as much because some of that is your players being able to create offense for themselves. Mm -hmm. And I, whenever – I mean, Talia Scott is making me watch this team, man. She really <laughs> yeah. is. She is a bucket – certified bucket getter right off the bat. I don't I, – I honestly, I don't cover the team. I don't cover the team, but I don't follow it as closely – as you do, obviously I do more now that we're doing this together, but I don't know that I expected her to come out of the gates like this, um, but I'm not worried about Talia Scott's assist numbers. No. I'm just not. I think the biggest thing for her is can you weed out – like I know she she scored really well in the first week of the season. Maybe you get more games from her shooting the ball wise, efficiency-wise like she did Tuesday night as opposed to like maybe those nine for 20 – games in, in the first couple first couple games of the season. I, fi I feel like that's probably a little bit of comfortability, too, and the game maybe starts slowing down for her a little bit. Yeah, and I think it's some of that film watching, too, in their first game against ULM. There were multiple times I went back and watched it, and to, don't get me wrong, like you don't want to take a player out of a rhythm whenever they're really having success driving it to the rim, but it got to the point where in the second half there were a couple times that she had – I mean, they'd seen her just take them to the rack, so they were doubling her. And it left Michaela Daniels wide open, like on the wing, who, because her defender drew off, and Michaela was like, I think, three for five in that game from three. She was shooting really well. And it's like, she just, I think, going back and watching film and seeing, like, hey, I don't, in this situation, I can, I can maybe get my, get an assist right here, uh, passing it up. So, yeah, but she, like you said, like, it just depends on how they're guarding you with those assist numbers. Like, talking about the men's game, having 11 on 30, like, the women's, like, they didn't need necessarily yesterday a lot of assists because you had Talia Scott just, like I said, it was like a running back. It was like she sees the end zone, I'm getting there however I need to, and I'm going to score. Right. And so, I mean, it was – I'm not worried about the assist numbers. Those – I think it – Mike Neighbors even said this after a game, I think. I think that just depends on how they're playing you. Like, if your assists are up, it's always great. I mean, nobody's ever, like – our assists were too high. Nobody ever says that. But I don't think he's overreacting like, oh, our assists are too low because right. he understands that, I mean, right now I think they're like third in the – or they're top five in the SEC, I think, in scoring offense. So it's like if you're getting points, he's not going to be like too concerned that you're not getting them off passes. You know? Right. So, Last thing on the women's team uh, before we move on to Arkansas's men's last two games, what have you learned about – Mike's team through three games and what do you think you might be able to what else can you find out maybe about this team maybe after Friday I think honestly all I've learned is that they're getting more comfortable with each other I'm not ready to make any prediction like as far as that they're I, I don't know how good they are I need to see them against somebody else just to be honest like gauge that um but I do see improvements so that's like the number one takeaway is like it seems like they're identifying things that they're struggling with and going back and they're doing well another takeaway Sailor Poffenbarger is like really invaluable to that team whenever she went to the bench in their Murray State game which I get it uh neighbors was just trying to get you know more lineups comfortable she might have three fouls later on in the year and they were up by 24 at that point so I get why I was experimenting but I mean once she went on the bench it, the, the game changed to like she's just so good on the glass she's going to end up being if she plays all four years here like probably i'd have to crunch the numbers definitely defensive rebounding maybe overall rebounding like rebounding leader she's just got like that instinct of like see ball get ball but um i guess i've learned about this team mainly that they're they're growing they have some playmakers um but i need to see them against a power five team to be honest watch talia scott you probably will not be disappointed. That girl can really go. I think that she'll, like, I mean, right now in the women's sport, you have, like, some of the names. Like, of course, I think everybody's heard of Caitlin Clark and Paige Beckers. I think that you give Talia a year or two. I genuinely think her name will get in that conversation with a lot of these type of players. She is that good. It's pretty strong. Yeah. I would watch that for sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, going back to last Friday, the nightcap of a – Basketball doubleheader at Bud Walton Arena. Arkansas beat Gardner-Webb 86-68. Palindromed them. We've, we've got another game to go off of since then, but I was looking back through the box score. Arkansas ends up blocking 15 shots in that game. Just a few days after, Eric Musselman was like, our rim protection has got to get better. And his I think that 15 blocks is the most that Arkansas – and Ar not an – 
It's the most ar- blocks Arkansas has had in a game in nearly three decades. I think what since '95. Yeah, it was against Missouri. Yeah, and then most blocks for an Eric coached college team, and Trevin Brazil was really good. He finished that game with 10.7 rebounds, five blocks, and then Makai Mitchell. We talked about Makai on the podcast last week. Question was asked: Who is a guy on the team that's maybe not being talked about a whole lot or given? you know, just a whole bunch of attention who could be down the line. He made if, you look good. <laughs> if you consider four days down the line, then I freaking nailed it. Because yeah. I almost sensed, and I know we can get into Gardner Webb more in a minute, Old Dominion, the Old Dominion game on Monday, Chandler Lawson starts again after he wasn't – Chandler Lawson was great against Purdue, hasn't been that since. Doesn't mean that he's not valuable – just means that he hasn't been as impactful in the last with Alcorn State, Gardner Webb, and Old Dominion. Now I think he's got value on this team. I don't think there's any doubt about it because you're gonna have you're gonna have an instance or a bunch of instances this season where that seven seven wingspan Giannis plus length is really gonna play a role. But I could almost feel when I think Chandler Lawson um, did not grab a couple of defensive rebounds or he couldn't secure a defensive rebound, seal a defensive possession, loses the ball out of bounds. And then as soon as the ball like hits the out of bounds, hits out of bounds right in front of the photographers, Makai Mitchell's already up off the bench. And it felt like that was a moment for Makai to go seize. And then he did it. Finishes with 15 and 10 against, uh, against old dominion. And I, I ended up writing about Makai for, my next column in HI that'll come out next week. Eric Musselman does not pass out compliments like Halloween candy with these guys, especially his front court. He's been pretty tight-lipped with his front court outside of, you know, Jalen Graham's practice habits. TB's looking good. Um, and Chandler Lawson's coachable. But we did not hear hardly anything at all in the preseason about Makai Mitchell. And part of it, obviously, was due because of the, the foot injury. And so there's not just a ton of evaluation time there, I think. He's missing time with with new teammates. That's that's important. Um, coming off the bench again, it doesn't seem like he's phased by that whatsoever. And Eric Musselman just throws like he's just out here lobbing compliments to Makai. And it was – I was shocked, to be perfectly honest with you, uh, to pull a Sam Pittman. <laughs> but that was – Impressive, and I patted myself on the back for getting a quote from Eric on on Makai, um, that you know didn't that an answer that didn't kind of turn into, you know we've got to protect the perimeter better and our depth took a hit that kind of thing. I think that he is in a position now as so long as he plays well Friday against UNC Greensboro, I would not be shocked whatsoever to see Makai kind of he's emerging right now, but I think you'll probably see him maybe take that step if he keeps playing well he could possibly cement himself back in that starting lineup just in time for for the Bahamas when you've got Stanford up first who's got a seven footer and then either Michigan or Memphis who is those teams are playing lights out Mm -hmm. to this point and then you got a potential matchup with like who is it uh, who's left Texas Tech North Carolina Villanova Northern Iowa I mean I think I think Makai the last two games has really set himself up well to to be that rim-protecting interior presence of a center that I think people were kind of worried that this team didn't have in the preseason. Yeah, um, you know, that first game against Alcorn State, I forgot to punch my camera up. Um, now you can, now you guys can see my new haircut. Looks good. You know, last, last week I went back and watched, and uh, I was like, dang, I need a haircut. So I went and got one today before the pod. So now <laughs> – I'm feeling good. I almost wore a hat today. My hair is just out of pocket. (laughs) The headset's helping out. Um, But, you know, that first game, they were talking a lot about Arkansas's length with Trevin Brazil and, uh, you know, Bayfall. But when I was watching, I was thinking, okay, we have a lot of length. Where's the girth? When we go up, when Arkansas goes up against, like, a a center or a five with some some meat on his bones, who are they going to go to? And uh, I think I wrote in my notes, we have a girth defect. Uh, That's really good. <laughs> in the front court. <laughs> um, but Makai Mitchell kind of solves that problem. Um, he does not have a girth defect. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he's a, he's, a, he's a beefier presence inside. 
which I think Arkansas was was lacking when you just have uh, Trevin Brazil in the paint, you know? And talking about not things not getting passed out like uh, Halloween candy, double-doubles are never easy to come by. To get 15 and 10 um, for him in 29 minutes, that's really impressive to me. I mean, especially it's it's kind of weird because you look at the the plus minus and it's like the only guy on the team with a isn't that wild with a with a minus was Makai Mitchell with minus yeah. one. But I think just that 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 stat can be deceiving sometimes because it depends on what all lineups you have up defensively. Anybody who watched that game knows the Razorbacks probably don't. I don't want to say don't win that game. It's a lot more. It's it's a lot different maybe of an outcome though, like a lot closer if Makai Mitchell isn't doing what he's doing because. A double double in that type of game, you just needed you needed somebody to get those boards. He got a double double in a game when second chance points was what was keeping Old Dominion in it. Yep. And Old Dominion getting not necessarily getting the second chance points, but getting the second chance opportunities is what put Chandler Lawson on the sideline and put Makai in. Um Makai, I think he blocked Four shots against Gardner Webb last week. I think he only had one block against Old Dominion. Um, need to look and see what his. I go back and track all of these shots defended numbers. Makai, I, I had him the other night. He gave up six buckets on 13 shots defended, which not great, but like you, you had to play him. It almost felt like you had to play him. But against Gardner Webb, he gave up two buckets on seven shots. So that's that's more along the lines of of what Makai can do for you. Just he can block shots. If he doesn't block shots, he can put he can he can put that girth on you and he can body you and make you second guess whether you're gonna, you know, try him again in the restricted area. And also if you pick on Joseph Pinion, he's gonna put your ass on the floor too. We found out that the other night. <laughs> so he's probably they're probably crafting a statue for him in Moralton. Yeah. No and like you said, like just on the shots defended, it's almost like kind of to be not. I don't want to say to be expected to give up that many, but like he is. We got to remember, like recovering from an injury. As far as like defense might be a little like like you use your feet on defense a lot. So maybe that's something that we'll see some improvement on. But just if you're if you're shooting so efficiently on the offensive end, like it did six or seven, putting up fifteen points, Tim. Like you can't not play. Like the, the defense, I think will. Uh, I don't have any question about him being a good defender. We saw him last year yeah. enough. It's like, I think that the, the more comfortable he gets out there, the more, um, like you said, maybe cemented he'll get kind of into that starting rotation. I wouldn't be surprised if, like you said, if here in the next week or so we see him kind of just back in that regular spot. Yeah, for sure. Keeping with Makai, I, I like to look at Ken Palm as like my go-to source for, um, obviously, college basketball analytics and – They've got the schedule. It's it's easy to pull up and, and look at. But if you look at some of these player stats, Makai Mitchell has only played 41.7% of the available minutes this season. And in order to be nationally ranked in some kind of a category on Ken Palm, you've got to play at least 40% of your team's minutes. So he barely crosses that threshold. He probably wouldn't have if he played like 25 minutes the other night against ODU. But he got to 29 um, which is only, he's only played that many minutes in a game just a handful of times. But Ken Palm has Makai 74th nationally with an 8.7% block rate. So he's blocking 8.7% of opponents' two-point shots when he's on the floor. That's a good number. An even better number, Trevin Brazil, he is 55th nationally at 10.2%. And if you would factor in I think he's blocked two or three three-point shots this year. That number is probably north of 12 or 13%. He has been otherworldly um, in terms of, you know, contesting shots. Eric got onto him a little bit for, you know, maybe falling asleep a little bit off the ball with one of uh, Old Dominion shooters. But through the last two games, Trevin's got nine blocks in his last 55 minutes played. You can't really do much better than that. I don't feel like um, he gave up, let me see, against Old Dominion, he gave up four buckets on nine shots defended, and the night before that he gave up four on 15 shots defended against Gardner-Webb. Eight for 24, that's it's just that's 
you'll take that, I think, especially as much as I don't think I expected Trevin against Gardner-Webb necessarily to defend 15 shots, but he did because he can. And I think that's – I think he's putting himself in a good position as a defender. And that shows you, I think, that he's he's healthy, he's confident in himself. And then if you look at that dunk that he almost finished the other night, um, he tried to – he tried to send somebody else to the core of the earth, and he just barely missed it. But that kid is playing with such supreme confidence. And I asked him after the Gardner-Webb game, I said, in the preseason, you told me down at, at Birmingham at SEC Media Day, I said, how close do you feel back to 100%? And he's like, I feel like I'm 110%, or that's the, that's the goal is to be 110. So I asked him last Friday, said, said you want to be 110? How, like, how close are you to 110? And he said he was 120, 120%. I hope he turns that into a bit. And so by the time like he has a good game, first game in the Bahamas, and he's like up to 135%, that would be that would be pretty good. What are y'all's thoughts been on on TV? And um, he's knocking down the three at a pretty good rate. Shot looks good. Um, I think he's been pretty efficient with his shots too. Like he's get he scored in double figures, I think, in each of the first three games. And it's not like he's he's not having to take eight, nine, or ten shots to get there. My thoughts on Trevin, um, when I watch him play, sometimes uh, his physical intensity and some of the rebounds he's going after and some of the falls that he's taken Scary. for going after those rebounds, I'm like, oh, man, uh, that was uh, late in the game the other day. He took a pretty hard fall after he snatched a rebound in the air, out of the air and got fouled. And the way he landed, I was just thinking, oh, oh no, that didn't that didn't look very good. But he got up. But um yeah, he his his physical intensity on both ends of the floor is really impressive, and you can just see it in his face. You can see the amount of perspiration on his face. Um, he's getting after it out there. He is seven of nine on two point attempts this year, four of seven from three, and his biggest frustration right now might be that he's just eight of twelve at the free throw line. He's getting to the line at a pretty good rate. Um, yeah, so he's taken for every four field goal attempts he takes, he's taken three. Three free throws. I think Eric Musselman will obviously like that. L. Ellis the other night was really, was really, really good. And I think L. Ellis might be, he might be number one on our ball knowers list because it seems like he listened to Ethan's, Ethan's uh, thoughts the other day on who might lead the team in scoring. And he went out and put up 17 for you. Yeah, I was, you know, y'all both were going with Caleb Battle, and I've seen enough ball now that I, if I, I would change my answer right now, but L. Ellis did me good. He went out and he had his best game yet by like a, a wide margin. Just uh, I think he had 17 points correct, and yeah. his assist totals is what was so impressive um, on uh, Monday night against Old Dominion. I, I think L. Ellis is one of those players that the, as the season progresses, maybe he won't be the leading scorer like I predicted. I still think there's a good, like he could, but Caleb Battle is so good at getting to the free throw line. Like I think he's taken. 13 more free throw attempts than anybody else on the team this season. Uh, so that'll get you to that. That usually helps get you to that leading score, um, you know, spot, but yeah, LL is 21 for 25 already. Yeah. I mean, that dude is, he knows how to score. It's just, I'm like, LLS, you did me good for one night. I don't know if this is sustainable against battle because that dude knows how to get himself a bucket, but yeah. LLS, he's that guy that you might look at the end of the year. And it's like, I hate to use the word most indispensable because with this team, I think you could name like four different, like Trevin Brazil. I mean, clearly you would say indispensable after last year, what you saw with the team. Sure. I know it's a different team now, but I think L. Ellis from just watching a game and seeing how good he is handling the ball, um, getting it to other players, getting involved, he can score. He's a willing score. He might be, in my opinion, like that indispensable guy by the end of the year. I mean, I think he'll be top. If he, he might not be the leading scorer, but I think he'll be definitely top two or three. Um, and so it's like he's the type of guy that without him, it's other people aren't getting their points, and he can he he creates so much offense for you, for you as well. So um, I liked his game a lot the other night. Um, I mean, the coach for um, – I'm blanking on his name. His last name is James. Uh, coach at Old Dominion, he, that, like, immediately pinpointed. I asked him afterwards, like, um, like it just seemed like y'all – we're getting so close, but you couldn't cross. Like it's like every time you got close, Arkansas had an answer, and he just immediately it was just LLS, LLS. That guy just killed us, basically. Um, how that he he was basically saying like LLS is the reason that they withstood all those rallies. So I think that yeah, he's just really indispensable to this team. 
I wrote, I ended up writing a sidebar on L. Ellis after the game on Monday. There were several different ways it could have gone. Like Devo was great at 16 points, finally looked a little bit more like himself. He was looking for his shot again after maybe he took a little bit of a backseat the first couple nights, finished with 16, and went back and tracked shots defended. Devo gave up three buckets on 12 shots. So Eric was like, we need our guards to defend better, but he may not have. May not have been, may not have had Devo, you know, at the top of of that. We got to clean some things up on defense list. Even though he did call him out after the game for going under a couple of threes on on his defensive assignment, but I thought Devo was largely good. Had maybe maybe the play of the night, definitely the highlight where he tipped that pass. It was a bad pass from L. I mean, let's be honest. I don't know what he was seeing on that play in particular, but Devo was heady enough, savvy enough to tip it to TB, and he tore the rim off basically. Um, I think but that was number three on uh, top plays on SportsCenter, yeah. Yeah. You can read about that. Matt wrote a sidebar on that on Monday night. Um, L, I ended up, like I said earlier, I wrote the sidebar on him, and I was live tracking potential assists. So, like, if I pass the ball to Blake in the right corner and he shoots it off the side of the backboard, I still get a potential assist even though he blew it for me. that kind of thing. But if I pass it to you again and you make it the second time, two potential assists, one actual. L had 10 potential assists the other night, accounted for 21 points. So his 17 plus the 21 that he generated, 38. Am I mathing right? This is a struggle today with with adding just simple numbers. But 38 points, I think that's – I wrote on the board the other day, 44% of Arkansas's offense came from L. Ellis. That was where it started. He was really good. And then I think the thing that is most intriguing to me, and I've tracked this in the past with guys like Jalen Williams, Arkansas, when Jalen Williams was here, shot phenomenal from three on passes set up by Jalen because he put them on the money. He put, he put passes in guys' shot pockets, um, and they were able to get off, get off good looks. Arkansas was five of seven from deep the other day when L set them up. I think that's a, that's a good number. And for the season, I've tracked it. They're 12 of 18 from three on on shots that, that L sets up from the perimeter. So L was really good. The only gripe I think that you could probably have with him, I had him giving up six buckets on 14 shots and give up two threes on, on five threes defended. Um, but he was the first, guy, he, first Arkansas guard since December 2020, I think, to go for at least 17, at least eight assists and exactly no turnovers. Uh, Jalen Tate was the last guy to do that. So pretty good company to be in uh, if you're L. Ellis. I know Eric was talking um, after L. had matched a career high in rebounds against Gardner-Webb last Friday. He was, you know, talking about how guards that Eric's had in the past have been good defensive rebounders, and he brought up a Jalen Tate, where you're in the same conversation with a Jalen Tate uh, just for, for a different reason. I think Eric's probably, probably got to like that. We're going to hit a break on the other side of it. Uh, we'll maybe get into Caleb Battle a little bit more, maybe some Devo Davis. Um, but we're going to go around the SEC. There's been a lot of interesting games uh, with involving teams in the SEC, including uh, Kentucky and Kansas on Tuesday was a phenomenal game, uh, especially early season, really high level. We'll get into some of that, um, and we'll look ahead to Arkansas's game against UNC Greensboro on Friday. Stay on top of all Arkansas Razorback sports with a Digital Plus subscription on the Hogs Illustrated app. Get complete Razorbacks coverage in one location. Your subscription gives you 20-plus issues of Hogs Illustrated magazine, the most unique and compelling coverage anywhere in the state, plus total access to all the content on wholehogsports.com, including breaking news, commentaries, analysis, features, recruiting, award-winning photos, and premium message boards. Subscriptions start at just $17 per month. Join the Hog Sports Network team at subscribe.waco.com. That's subscribe.wehco.com. Or call 479-684-5509 to get your front row seat to Arkansas Razorback Sports. Go Hogs! Welcome back in to the Basketball Podcast of Mid-America. We teased that we were going to talk about Devo Davis a little bit, maybe some more Caleb Battle. Um mentioned earlier that Devo had 16 points, which I think is is really good. He, he got it on six of eleven shooting. Um 
the three that he knocked down, I haven't been a big fan of his three-point shot selection to this point in the season. I think you guys would probably agree with that. There's been like some NBA range type stuff, a lot of off-the-dribble um, shots that, you know, he can make, but I think he's better suited. Maybe his skill set off the dribble in the mid-range, that makes sense. I like him short threes, catch and shoot. And I think the two threes, I think he's made two threes this season, and he's two for 11. Both of the threes that he's taken – and make and made short catch and shoots. Does does Devo get going from from three again, like he did last year? And is it, it just as simple as you know, take a take a step in and you know don't just don't get it in your head that that these have to be NBA range three point shots that you're getting? Because I don't think anybody else really. I'm I'm questioning their their three point shot selection at this point. I think if I'm not remembering incorrectly, kind of the same thing last year early in the season, right? It's really struggled from three to start out this season. And then by season's end, it was like he was taking, I mean, he was, one, in my opinion, by the end of last season, their best three-point threat. And he shot almost 42% from three in conference play. Yeah, I yeah. mean, it's like, it was almost like as much as Arkin, like, Musselman gets used to, like, having a new team and how these, I mean, you wonder if it's the same way for Devo just on the court. It's like, kind of trying to figure out when's his spot to start taking shots. When is that needed? You wonder if like early season, just learning his new teammates, maybe sometimes he is forcing these shots that, you know, into last year, it kind of felt like he needed to force some a little bit at times, in my opinion, like just with their lack of three point threat really anywhere else kind of down the stretch. Um, you wonder if it's like just a matter of learning his place in the offense. Yeah. Um, I don't question... Definitely a feeling out process for him early in the year. Yeah, I don't say. question his ability to make some threes. I think his percentage right now is indicative of the type of shooter he is. I just don't think that's the case. I think it might be more indicative of him figuring out, like, just his role scoring the ball from deep. Is he even needed to take that many shots from deep yeah, this year with the fair. guys that you have? Um, so I think you'll see his percentage go up, maybe volume go down. So... um yeah, I'm I'm not really too concerned about him. The same way that I talked about Michaela Daniels on the women's side, I kind of feel like he's similar right now in a sense of like, I mean, she's shooting the ball better, but he's kind of just doing, when you look at the team as a whole, it's almost like he's quietly there, but you know that he's just doing the things that he needs to do to help the team. I mean, the game against Old Dominion was a real, like just visible impact or uh, visualization of that. But I think the shooting will get better just as he feels things out and he's, I think he's the type of player that he just wants to win. Yeah, for sure. He just wants to win, and so he's going to do whatever it takes to to help out the team. I always go back after after games, and I'm, I nerd out with this stuff. I catalog every shot that each guy takes by shot type. Here, here, I'm going to run through Devo's mage field goals against Old Dominion. Okay, catch and shoot three left corner, drive floater, transition layup transition layup, offensive rebound layup, transition layup. That sounds like Devo to me, not the off-the-dribble um, three-point shots from like two or three feet behind the arc. Like that That to me, maybe Devo can add that, but I think Devo at his best, Devo in March, man, what was he doing? He was getting to the rim. He was putting major pressure on the rim, making guys try to stay in front of him, and they just couldn't. But that's just – that's to me – Prime Devo. Blake, you got a, a thought on him? Yeah, you know, um, you mentioned kind of him figuring out his role. I do think last year you saw there was a lot of games when, you know, before March, Devo didn't really ingratiate himself to the fans. He would he would have games where he'd be like 5 of 20 from the floor or like 6 of 18, and fans were getting upset, like, why is he taking so many shots? Why is, why is Devo even taking threes at all? Um, I do think that he's had since he's been here for so long and he's basically had a new team to adjust to every single year um he's he, he is still finding his, his place in the offense but like you said march devo is what people like and march devo is is transition basketball right and yeah getting to the rim like you said not shooting nba range threes and especially on this team that has more offensive weapons and more guys that can shoot threes you really don't need devo in that role at all really and you wonder, I was going to say, I wonder, you know, we keep on mentioning like Devo and March, how he plays. Like, is this 
now as like an upper husband, does he kick it into gear and figure out his role quicker than he has in the past? Just with that experience of learning like his role. That's what I want to see. I want to see if like down in the Bahamas or even by the time they come back and play Duke at home, is he being that player that's just like really aggressive going to the rim, good defender, and maybe cutting out some of these things that we've seen early in the year. Some other years maybe learning from the past that like, hey, I don't, I have other teammates that I, I I I can fit within my role a lot. Like I don't have to stretch my role. We have weapons on this team. Yeah, I could really see him becoming a guy, um, and maybe you see some of that vocal leadership come out next week in the Bahamas. And if he does, I will be there and I will ask him about it because I'm going and I can't wait. Got a 5:45 flight Monday morning. Can't wait for that one. Um, but going back to uh, mentioned the Kansas game last year, eight of 11 on two point shots against Old Dominion the other night, uh, five of seven. So a smaller, I mean, less volume, but that's, that's more along the lines of him. And I think like you go to the Bahamas and you play, they're going to be playing games in a ballroom. Okay. So that's a different venue to shoot in different sight lines, all that different backdrop, that kind of thing. You know, what's not different in a whole lot of gyms is layups layups are the same in gyms. It's not always easy to shoot in every single gym. Um, but kudos to, to Devo the other night. Really, he looked like himself again, um, probably for the first time since that Kansas game. I know there haven't been too many games, but 16 points, pretty good. Um, you did mention uh, Eric being upset with one of the screens that he decided to um, go under. Yeah, go underneath. I think I know exactly which one he's talking about because when I rewatched the game, it was pretty funny because he tries to go into the screen, but then the screener made his way closer to the basket, and Devo's just kind of going for a ride with him. Like he, the guy's just pushing him, pushing him, pushing him, pushing him, and uh, Devo was just yeah, was just going for a ride, and then the guy was just wide open. But you also mentioned um, being vocal on defense, and I think that's where Devo could really help because one thing I did notice in the game against Old Dominion, there were multiple times when. An Old Dominion player would set a screen, and there's no communication at all on Arkansas's defense. There was no switching, and then the on-ball defender would try to go around. Would, there would be no space for him to cut under the screen. So then he's going around the off-ball defender and uh, and the guy setting the screen. Right. And so one screen is, is taking away two players for Arkansas, and that's how Old Dominion was getting some of these wide-open looks. And it happened multiple times where – they, you know, if you're not going to switch, then the off-ball defender needs to make some space for uh, for the Arkansas player to get underneath the screen. You know, and they weren't doing that, and it was just creating like log jams right around around the per- perimeter. And, and Old Dominion was knocking them down. I think you make a good point about um, the ball screen defense. I think when when Eric calls for more physicality from his guys, I think ball screen defense is not necessarily necessarily like maybe the second or third place we go. It's always are your elbows sharp in the like in the restricted area going for rebounds and um you know can you box your guy out that kind of stuff um i think ball screen defense like the the guards have got to like if could be one of those instances where do you remember kobe in the olympics several years ago um i think it was pal gasol he just barreled through his chest through a ball screen just like send somebody a message and let them know that you're there obviously eric's probably not going to like that the the, the the cheap foul um, that you give up. But I think these guards have got to let these screen setters know that they're there, let them feel them. Uh, and I think that that could that could potentially pay dividends within the same game, uh, potentially. Uh, do you have any do you have a thought on that? I can I can move on. I have a thought just in general about like the defense of the team um and defending the perimeter. I think that they're really they're in a good spot right now that the offense is so good that like it was like they I don't think last year's team I think last year's team defended better at this point but like I don't think last year's team had the firepower to, firepower to outlast what Old Dominion did the other night I think yeah. last year's team would have gotten beat by that team just the way that they were shooting the ball this year's team just can it's it's positive that this year's team has this type of offense to do it and defense is something that you can coach over like if you just can't shoot the ball like last year's team. I mean, you might catch lightning in a bottle a game or two and just be shooting really well, but it's out of the ordinary. You can coach defense over here and get better defensively. I, I think that this team is so good offensively right now that it's like 
you're that's where you want to be is like your improvements need to be on the defensive and I know Eric is not happy right now at all with the perimeter defense but like that is something you can coach and they will get better at if they weren't if if they didn't have this type of offense and like shot making ability at this point of year they probably would have it probably would have cost them a game the other night like yeah. I mean they were just answering every punch I mean to shoot 42 percent from three 51 percent from the field like the questions aren't on offense, it's on defense. Musselman's really good about developing a team defensively throughout the year. I think they're in a better spot than they were this time last year for sure as far as like coachable things to fix. Um, it just feels like each game there's a new like maybe area that stands out of like this really needs fixed. And it feels like they address it and then a new one kind of pops. It's like always just like patching holes. I think at some point just a lot of these get patched enough to where it's like you're nitpicking like on like I, I just think the defense will really transform as the year progresses. I like where they're at offensively and I don't think last year's team would have won that game. No, I don't I definitely don't either. And yeah, well, you mentioned it last year's last year's team just didn't have the offensive firepower to withstand what Old Dominion hit nine of eleven threes in one span, and then I think it was 11 of 15 over a slightly longer stretch. There's no way last year's team, I don't think, withstands that, and they probably they would probably drop that um, like some other teams around, around the league have in this early season. But I think and that kind of leads me into my next question. Are you – does the Monday night's result bother you at all? I mean, they didn't – led for over 35 minutes – but you never felt like it was firmly put away, but you still won the game, right? Like eight points, nine points. Here we go with the math again. It's like Ethan said, you know, a lot of this stuff is coachable. And I think that the lack of communication we're seeing on defense, I think that's going to come with more chemistry. And I think that the chemistry will come with getting more games under their belt with this team. You asked if, if there was any concerns. I guess I'm a little concerned that they're going into such a tough stretch in the Bahamas just next week. And I think Arkansas has, what, one more game before the Bahama run? Yeah. In, what, UNC Greensboro? Right. There there are some concerns, and you just wonder. And, you know, if you go back to last year, the Maui Invitational, they beat Louisville. Louisville is a horrible team Lou, last Louisville year. was basically a vacation by game. Right. And then they – lose to Creighton, they beat San Diego State, but that game only went into overtime because San Diego State made a, made a really bonehead play and to send it to even give Arkansas an opportunity to send it to overtime. So, you you know, you almost go one and two down in Maui and kind of, kind of same situation I think we might see in the Bahamas. This team, I think, needs some t- more time to gel, and so I'm not expecting them to go out and, and win the battle for, for Atlantis by any means. I think it's – and I also think that we're probably when conference play starts, I think we're probably going to see one of those early conference Muscleman style, not to put it all in Muscleman, say a Muscleman style slump, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know it's 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 kind of a trend. Yeah. But it ju- it's just because there's so many new faces on the team every year, and they just need time to gel. I think they will gel uh, by the time we get to March, or everything will be worked out. But yeah, right now there's I think there's just a lack of uh, chemistry, especially on defense. And talking about areas of concern, I think the three-point defense is a concern. Um, but, like, Old Dominion making 9 out of 11, like, people don't do that in a shooting contest, like, with no defender. Like, the racquetballs, people don't make 9 out of 11 usually. Like, they just shot really well. What's the Actually, the area of concern to me is still the offensive rebounds for opponents. Like, that just concerns me because it's what – Eric pointed out after Gardner-Webb, and it did not. I mean, the second half, there were some adjustments against Old Dominion, but it did not get fixed. I mean, to give up, uh, I think it was 12 offensive rebounds by the end of the game. It was eight in the first half, I think. I mean, their early offense, the only points they were getting were put back. So that's the area of concern for me because, like me and Blake have been saying, like, that's a coachable thing. Like, you just have to – I would hate to be a player in practice this week with how many box out drills they're probably doing and, like, I mean, those the two drills that as a player you just are like groaning is like rebounding drills and closing out drills. I feel like that is all practices. It's like closing out, defending the three, and boxing out. So it's probably been some really intense practices. And Ethan's Ethan speaks from experience. He was you were a manager 
in what Mike Anderson's last season and Eric's first season. Yes. Is that right? Yeah. So yeah, Ethan's speaking from experience. He's seen he's seen those guys with the with the bricks out. But hey, the good thing about that first year as a manager for them, I think number one in the nation in three point defense. Yeah. So that wasn't too much of a but the rebound I mean, rebounding drills were pretty crazy that year. An undersized sure. team. <laughs> if I do have a concern, I think it is three point defense at the moment. Um Opponents are shooting 35.7% from three against Arkansas to this point. And I think the 11 threes that Old Dominion hit were the most since Tennessee, like toward the end of the 21-22 season. So it's it's been a while since Arkansas had given up that many. And Old Dominion is like Old Dominion's not not college level Golden State. Like they they shot the ball pretty bad uh, the first couple of games that they played before they came to Arkansas. But I think the things that you do like defensively, top 20 in block rate, um, top 35 in two-point field goal defense, and then offensively, your top 35 in turnover percentage, which is that's always been a hallmark of Eric's teams. Like his good teams have always taken really good care of the ball, valued the basketball. And then as a team, you're shooting 40.3% from deep. So I think there's there's some definitely there's definitely some things that, that you can – like about this team through three games and then obviously the the test on Friday I think I think it will be a test obviously and I think this week has been this week I, I kind of circled it as a big week because you you always look at the first or the last couple of games before you travel somewhere to play in an MTE where it's not like the rest of the season and you're playing back to back to back days oh by the way four days after you get home you get Duke oh by the way a few days after that, you get Furman. A week later, you get Oklahoma. They're about to – it's about to get really tough. And so I think you've got a couple of really tough teams that have, that are going to – that have or are coming into Bud Walton this week. I think I think Arkansas knew what they were doing, putting the schedule together, despite what the haters say. I guess we can get into um, – oh, let's, let's just go around the SEC. You want to do that instead of talking about Greensboro? <laughs> I think the only thing I had in that game was TB got hurt against them last year. I think Greensboro I think played Vanderbilt it. yesterday, right? They did. Lost by four. Yep, Greensboro so lost by four. I get it. Vanderbilt's not great this year, but still to play a Vandy team. lost to Presbyterian in their opener. Yeah, so who knows if Greensboro is good or not. Yeah. Um, last year gave them a tight game, so. <laughs> yeah, they did. Yeah, they needed Nick Smith to, to do his thing to get out of there with a win. Just go over some of these games. Like I mentioned earlier, Kentucky and Kansas. Kentucky looked really good for a lot of that game, and then Kansas just took over. They had like they had a Kansas had a guy go for a triple double. Hunter Dickinson went for twenty and twenty, and then Dewan Harris had the game of his freaking life last night. Hit a couple big threes to really get them back into that game. I think Kentucky's going to be fine. Um, they're they're missing some pieces, and they still. I think there's some reason for optimism with with Cal's young team. Those freshmen are pretty good. Um, speaking of the Bahamas, Memphis went to Missouri last week and put the hammer down on them. Beat them by 15 in Columbia last Friday. I was listening to the Ion College Basketball podcast with uh, Gary Parrish and Matt Norlander, and interesting note that they had on Memphis – Penny Hardaway, I think it was the first game of his second year at Memphis. He started all five freshmen. And this year, I think his top five scores against Missouri, their average age was almost 23. And Javon Quinterly, who's the, the former Alabama guard, he turns 25 later this month. So he's like halfway to draw on his Social Security check. But Arkansas mm-hmm. is going to have to keep an eye on him for sure. He's got a mortgage already, I heard. Yeah, he can he can pay mine too. His NIL money's good enough. Texas A&M, I think, has been one of the more impressive teams in the SEC to this point. I mean, they've got they've already got a couple road wins in the first week week and a half of the season. Went to Ohio State and won on the road, and then I mean, you can say what you want about SMU, but I think going to I would imagine I haven't checked the box score or whatever to to look at attendance, but you get. A Texas school has another Texas school top 15 in the country coming into their building. It was probably pretty rowdy. But I just – I like Wade Taylor a lot. And Tyrese Radford, I think, is playing pretty well for them. They've got Henry Coleman back. That is a pretty tough team. Do y'all have any any, any thoughts on on Texas A&M? I think they're they, – they, this week in the AP poll, they were 
They were the the team that jumped Arkansas to thirteen. Yeah, I mean, it's just I think that it was predicted coming in. Like you just knew what all they had coming back. It's yeah. like these early season results for them don't surprise me that much because it's a team that they had so many faces coming back. I think that that's going to be. I mean, if way too early to to be predicting how the SEC is going to shake out. But I mean, I just think that right now it's kind of you see a pool of teams of Arkansas. Tennessee, A&M, Kentucky, Bama, um, just kind of jockeying it out near the end. I mean, I think all these teams have just so many good pieces. And Buzz Williams, I mean, people hate him. <laughs> a lot of people hate him. He's a good coach, though. Um, it'll be interesting to see if they can keep that non-conference momentum riding into conference play because you wonder, you know, kind of the reverse that Arkansas has where it's always trying to figure things out in – conference play with all these new faces with how many returners that they do have you wonder if they're going to take conference play maybe by storm a little bit until other teams kind of catch up one thing i have noticed that um buzz williams is a really well-dressed coach he is sharp dressed man um he's one of the sweatiest coaches i've ever seen also true and i'm so i'm wondering like i feel bad for whoever does his dry cleaning but (laughs) i'm also wondering if maybe after the game he just throws his clothes in the garbage (laughs) i mean that'd probably be easier than cleaning it does sweat a lot. He does. I mean, how could you not in a three-piece? I mean, what are we doing here, man? Get with the times. Like, you don't have to do this. Like, you just don't. I think I think you yeah. just – he just wants to look really sophisticated. It's nice. He does it. Yeah. But he it lives. just seems like overkill to me. Yeah, I mean, I, I think if, if I was if I was doing his wardrobe, if I was, you know, dressing Buzz Williams, I'm thinking maybe a dry-fit polo. Like, like Maybe a little bit bigger than the one that Bruce Pearl is wearing, though. <laughs> yeah. Maybe a little bit less form-fitting. Um, they I have a probably game, shouldn't have said that, but... They have a game in mid-December at home against Houston. I think that'll be a telling game Yeah. Um, early in the year. Another one, Tennessee went to Wisconsin and won by double figures. And I don't think they got very much in that game from Santiago Vescovi. So I think that's a... or Is it Vescovi or Vescovi? <laughs> I've heard all of the above. At this point, kind of choose your name. I'm yeah. going to call him Vescovy. Yeah, that's cool. We'll we'll put it in the commandments for this podcast. We'll we're calling him Santiago Vescovy until until Tennessee's communications department gets with us. That's a good, that's a that's a pretty good win. I mean, I, it, Wisconsin's got basketball history. Just because you have basketball history doesn't mean you've got a good program currently. But I think it's Wisconsin gets up for basketball. That's a good that's a good early season win. Detroit Mercy almost got him a good early season win against Ole Miss. What is Chris Beard doing? How are you? How are you only beating Detroit Mercy by a point? I think like the the all like w- didn't Detroit Mercy have a kid that was like almost the NCAA's all time Division One leading scorer? They don't have him anymore. I don't think he's still almost caught an L to, L to them. It's it might be a long year for Chris Beard Could like be. and getting this thing because you know he's he's kind of I compare him. St- very much to like Hugh Freeze in the coaching world. Like, you yeah. know, he'll get that team back to right. It's just, can he do it in the first year? And their results so far 10 point win over Alabama State, 11 point win over East Washington, and then a one point win over, tw- like, it might be a long year all, for them. All three of those starts are not, are not built the same. Yeah, they're and not all created equal. Yeah, they're not created equal. <laughs> that is for sure. Um, yeah, the only I think the only other games that I really had were Vanderbilt lost to Presbyterian in the opener, which is whew, like stack if you want to keep your job, dude. Like that's not that's not a way to do it. But you did beat you bounced back. You beat Greensboro before. I guess you're just that is a good result after losing to Presbyterian because I would I would venture to guess Greensboro is probably better than Presbyterian. Uh, but then the other one, I kind of mentioned it. Uh, threw a little bit of salt toward the end of the last podcast, but Auburn lost to to Baylor in uh, in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, up in the Pentagon. That was a that was a pretty fun game. Um, I just think like Auburn's got Auburn's got some good pieces. Like I like the uh, the Denver Jones kid that transferred, I believe, from Florida International. I like Janai Broom from a production standpoint, but they've got a new kid on their they've got a new player on their team his name is chad baker mazara they've also got katie johnson and that is almost too much chaos if they're on the same if they're on the floor at the same time like there is just so much almost extra energy about those guys and i wonder if that maybe i'm speaking out of the side of my head but i just i watched that game and i just didn't like 
I didn't like the vibe that I got. But I do think Aiden Holloway, he's another good one. I think he had 18 or 19 against Baylor off the bench. Really talented freshman, um, shooting it really well early in his career. Um, Auburn thoughts at all? I don't know what to make of them either. I mean, yeah. that was a really entertaining game. It was very entertaining. I mean, if you didn't watch it like me, but you got to – I went back and watched the highlights. I feel like I missed out on, like, a, just a great viewing experience in lifetime. Game, yeah. um, that's one of those teams. I mean, it's, there's just so many teams in the SEC that you're like, they could either be complete boom or bust, and that's one of them to me. I'm like, this is either going to work out great for them or they're going to be, I don't know, kind of back to taking second tier in the league. Um not many more thoughts on Auburn yet, though. One thing I did notice in that at the end of that Kentucky-Kansas game last night uh, when they were doing the handshake line, Jay Bielis was talking about how good Kentucky looked and how good the SEC is, is looking this year. And he mentioned Kentucky and Texas A&M and Alabama. And I'm thinking, hmm, why didn't Jay Bielis mention Arkansas? The other announcer said, you got to watch out for Arkansas, too. They look really good. Then I remembered that uh, Jay Bielis has gotten into it with Hunter Yurichek on Twitter. That's and so right. I thought, hmm, maybe that's why Jay Bielis yeah. didn't mention Arkansas. And the other announcer had to had to chime in and like, I heard don't, forget, don't forget about Arkansas. Yeah. They look really good, too. Yeah, I was like half paying attention at that point. Like, And then I just heard Arkansas to the corner of my ear. So it's good to hear this context because I completely missed that it was an initial like uh, leave out of the statement. What, have, have they announced who the call team is going to be for that Arkansas Duke game? Like, Billis has got to be at that one, doesn't he? Like, just come down here, make up with Hunter Juracek, sit courtside for the scene of the year, potentially in college basketball, in terms of, like, regular season games. Like, that's got to be the move for him. I feel like he, he hasn't will, covered a game here before. I feel so like that's he the, will that's be the one here. to do it. I just think that, like, that's the type of matchup that a guy like him isn't going to – isn't gonna not be here for. They should Arkansas Duke should get the Dan Shulman, Jay Billis treatment. That's yep. the A team to me. Like if you can't get Fran Fraschilla to call a game, I want those two guys calling yeah. a college basketball game for me. Are we still on the SEC topic too? Sure. I know that I'm committing the cardinal sin of like not comparing like like score like games against similar teams. But I just want to give a shout out to uh, I think it was at Media Day Lamont Paris went first for South Carolina. Yeah. Hey, Vanderbilt beat South Carolina upstate by seven. Season opener, South Carolina beat them by 29. So, hey, I don't know if we should be using South Carolina upstate, you know, as our barometer (laughs) of where a team's at, but South Carolina is 3-0 right now, and Lamont Paris said at media day, like, hey, basically he was saying, count us out. It's never right anyways, like the standings. South Carolina's 3-0. They've beaten Virginia Tech by two. I don't know if Virginia Tech's any good, but, hey, the Gamecocks are three and zero, so I just you know feel like, the name. So that's I think if you know the name at this point early in the year, I think that's pretty solid. I'm giving them a shout out. I I like Lamont Paris, and maybe South Carolina won't stink. Before we get out of here, um, just some of the other games of note. Later this week, early next week, Tennessee plays Syracuse. That'll be interesting. Let's see, Mississippi State, Washington State, Auburn, Notre Dame. That should that'd be interesting. Florida, Florida State, another good one. Uh, Missouri's playing Minnesota. I don't know that I'll even think about watching that one. Uh, Georgia plays Miami. I think Miami's probably they that the chances of a boat race might be pretty pretty good in that one. Miami going Miami's way, uh, and then Vanderbilt plays UCA. Um, if Stack loses to UCA. I don't know that this is gonna. I don't know this. This is gonna reach conference play. And didn't he lose Mike Wright to LSU? Um, or not Mike Wright? <laughs> he lost uh, uh, Studi. Mike Wright's the quarterback at Mississippi State yeah. that transferred from Vanderbilt. <laughs> lost a kid to LSU. You he said? Lost, I think he lost Jordan a, Wright. Jordan Wright. Yeah. Vanderbilt football lost Mike Wright, so to, they're just losing all these rights. to Mississippi State. But yeah, uh, yeah like I'm just like. You just felt like that team near the end of last year was like maybe like, oh, we're getting momentum. Like these guys all like being here and they like stack. And then this happens to start the year. I mean, I don't know what's up for Vanderbilt. Like to, like if they can get out of this, but they don't. Yeah, after they so play far. UCA, they got um, NC State on a neutral floor. And later, a little bit later down the line, Texas Tech on a neutral floor. But and then they play Memphis like at Memphis. That's. The way Memphis is playing right now, that's not going to be pretty either. So might 
if the TV is on and your children are awake, you might usher them into another room, protect protect the little eyes. You know, <laughs> Memphis yeah. is Memphis is looking really good. I think that might be. Obviously, I think if we have our say in what happens in the Bahamas, Arkansas wins that first game and they play Memphis. I mean, that's that's the dream scenario. I think the only way that it could be better is if Arkansas then beats Memphis and then moves on to play North Carolina. I think in that in that final round, like Villanova would be cool to an extent. Texas Tech kind of Eric's done that with Texas Tech already, um, even though he hasn't played. Texas Tech with Grant McCaslin, but North Carolina with, you know, Armando Baycott and R.J. Davis back like that, would that would be one hell of a game. Calling it now. If Arkansas Memphis play in the Bahamas, you will hear at least five people in your life say something like, oh, they could have just gone to Little Rock and played this one when they had to go. You will hear it. There will be somebody make the joke after it's been made a thousand times of like, oh, they could have just played here, but they had to go to the Bahamas. I'm just giving you all a warning. I hope it happens. Um, it's it's the best matchup scenario. Yeah, absolutely. And we're trying to go over there and get our money's worth for sending me to that to that tournament. Let's make it happen, Eric Penny. Let's do it. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm all on board on on that. I mean, I, I've I, what was it like 2003 or 2004 was the last time that those teams played. I mean, I wasn't really even paying attention to anything at that point in my life. The last time these teams played. Yeah, and, you know, Memphis is really good. I think Bob made a point a few weeks ago on the pod that in that Memphis in that first-round game last year, Memphis played Florida Atlantic, and it went down to the wire. Yeah. And who knows, maybe if Memphis wins that game, they're going to the Final Four instead of Florida Atlantic. Hey, the Chandler-Lawson Bowl, too. Yeah. Got that yeah, matchup. how about so. that? Yeah, if Chandler-Lawson – you know, if Memphis keeps moving on in that NCAA tournament, who knows if Chandler-Lawson transfers? And then who know who guards Zach Eady in that exhibition is probably Makai Mitchell. Um, appreciate you guys tuning in and listening to us ramble for the last twenty or twenty five minutes. I think it was we covered a lot of ground again. Um, do us a favor, and if you're listening to this, like Whole Hog Sports wherever you get, uh, like and subscribe to Whole Hog Sports wherever you get your podcast. You can also go to the Whole Hog Sports YouTube channel, give us a thumbs up, subscribe. That way you get get noties whenever the podcast comes out we're really enjoying this i'm loving the the video element to this i think it makes it twice as good i think the pod was already pretty good uh, before that blake and spencer and brent and chip and all those guys have done a great job getting us set up with this we got a sweet logo in the background too man i mean designed I by it. scotty yeah that was man pretty of good. many talents decent summer work on canva for me <laughs> while i probably should have been doing something else um but yeah appreciate you guys being here um, Blake, always good to to have you chime in. We're going to have to figure out what to do next week since I'll be in the Bahamas, but um, I think we'll definitely get that figured out and get Maybe you some Blake and I put content a delivered. picture of the Bahamas behind us in here and we can pretend we're there with you. I'm actually lobbying just because this, this pod is, is getting to be so successful and it's really taking off. Um, I'm lobbying for them to also send me to the Bahamas so we could there do you go. And maybe uh, we kind of do a pot. We'll get some wireless mics, and we'll both be sitting on surfboards, like, in the water, you know, talking hoops. I don't know how safe that is uh, with electronics and stuff. We might have to do it, you know, on a Just don't a fall off, dude. Don't fall off. <laughs> hey, stay tuned, yeah. everybody. We'll see. We'll see what where you, this what goes. What are you up to next week? I'm going to be a sicko and at the Arkansas-Missouri football game, so. Yeah, that is real sicko behavior right there, buddy. <sighs> uh, prayers. Prayers for me, everybody. Again, for the third time, appreciate you guys <laughs> listening in. Um, we'll be back next week in some form or fashion. I may be zooming in uh, with either Matt or Blake or, or Ethan or somebody, but yeah, we'll get you some BPMA content from from the Bahamas. I'm really looking forward to that. Hopefully, you can get some get some pretty unique stuff. Maybe get a player interview or two and and stick this stick that in in the podcast. Um, Looking forward to it. For Ethan Westerman and Blake Sutton, I'm Scotty Bordelon. appreciate you listening in to the Basketball Podcast of Mid-America. We will see you next week.